Welcome to the Configure It Done podcast. The Configure It Done podcast is a place where successful thought leaders in the SAP space come to share their leadership styles, their tips, and their unique stories on how to run successful large-scale SAP programs. Listen to the podcast to learn from their successes, their failures, their career stories, and their inspirations. This podcast is in partnership with the Black Dog Institute, who aim to create a mentally healthier world for everyone. If you wish to support the cause, please donate via the link below. And uh, I reckon we've got one of the best guests. And uh, I've been looking forward to this for a long time. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Not only have we got Peter Gilmore back. Oh, We've got John Goldfield. Oh, look, it, it, I'll be honest. It took it took Peter Gilmer to get me here. Yeah, yeah. He's he's uh, this this is my secession plan for oh, the Lord. world of IT. Here we go. Started. <laughs> Only just got on the podcast. It's already started. <laughs> well, no oh, pressure. Let the games doing. begin. Yeah. I only brought him on because he accused me of on my podcast of doing all a whole lot of motherhood statements. statements. So what yeah. we're expecting from John today is the true reality oh, yeah, of the project grit. management. The grit. Yeah, what really happens behind grit the scenes. Grit and comedy. Yeah. How do you know each other, first of all? Uh, look, uh, we worked on my very last project, uh, the Lion Project, which uh, ran for three years um, out no, here at Sydney no Olympic Park. No project management stuff. And uh, went, went, went for three years, and we obviously we managed the very last year of it in the first year of COVID, right? In uh, we went live in that year, so that that turned everything, the whole world, on its head. It was probably the most challenging of all projects. You know, we really had to think on our feet. And I met uh, Pete during that time, and it, Pete was one of the pillars, right? He understood uh, method, he understood delivery, he understood people, you know, the technology is always secondary, right? There's enough people that know the technology, but how that relates to what the business is doing and how we run it uh, and, and keep the team interested, keep them bonded, keep the business involved, uh, that's, that's like a chess game. It's diplomacy at its best. And Peter understands that. He understands diplomacy. He, it's not a tick and flick for, for Pete, like where's your project plan? Where's your report? Where's your risk assessment? Where's your issue log? I, I know when I hear that from somebody, they're not a project manager, they're a project administrator. But when they say, hey, John, uh, so how do, you, how do you think you're gonna roll this thing out? You mm -hmm. know, uh, do you, you know uh, are, you, are you leaning towards function? Are you leaning towards geography? How are you gonna handle this? I know they're trying to unravel the puzzle that's project management, you know? Uh, that's chess playing that I'll talk a little bit more about, but it's all about people. And this this Peter understands people, he can read it. Peter hates nice words about him. Look at him sitting there. Not, you can't you can't smile, Peter, it's fine. No, no, that's right. <laughs> Except the praise, except the praise. <laughs> Look, I'm a, little, I'm a little bit like Yoda yeah. discovering Luke Skywalker oh, and thinking, oh, this, guy, this, this guy's gonna reset the force. He's, he's, he's gonna bring everything back into balance. That's how I feel about Pete, quite honestly. He knows how much I'm sparing That's it. I'm an Irish Catholic from a family of sand. We don't like cotton. And the only way to make him stronger is for me to, to die, to step out of the picture, right? So so that's basically what I did. I've right, been retired right, now right. for a year, just so this guy can restore the balance. Are, are you actually retired though? It's a good question. Are you it is, retired? It is. Um, yes, I am. I'm literally retired. But when you, uh, if you ask me about the most ideal project, mm. uh, that'll bring me out of retirement. Mm. And I'll explain that when, when we get there. Okay, yeah. no problem. And um, over to Luke yeah. Skywalker. Luke Skywalker. Um, <clears throat> tell us a little bit about John. For those of you that 
don't know um, John, I'm sure there's not many, but um, tell us a little bit about John. So um, I met John at Line um, maybe four or five years ago. Um, big program, I think uh, it'd been running for about six months, uh, eventually around four years. And John was really the glue that held everybody together. Um, and it was fantastic for me because, you know, up to that point, I've been going through different, uh, a couple of different projects and programs working for individuals that I don't know if they were at the best of their game um, and I wasn't learning from them. And I met John, I could just tell his experience was just just um, so pivotal to, to Lion's success and that I could learn so much from him. And that was the case. Um, I was really fortunate to, to, to learn from somebody who obviously had been in the trenches and had done a number of difficult programs learned a lot of tricks and more importantly was willing to invest uh, in us as individuals and, and pass on that experience and um yeah i'm still at line i'm, I'm grateful that uh, i met john and i could also drink more than him <laughs> so let's um let's learn a bit more about that then then john um let's go back let's learn about you as a person first yep. of all yep can you tell us a bit about your your background your hobbies and Absolutely. Yeah, and yeah, what your pastimes are, yeah. Yeah, no problems. So uh, uh, Bondi Beach, born and bred. Uh, parents, both from Greece, came out in uh, the 50s, early 50s. Um, at, at school, uh, I, was, I wasn't very studious until I hit probably fifth or sixth class. Uh, but uh, my fifth and sixth class teacher said, uh, I, she took me aside and she said, you're wasting your time. You've, you've got potential. You've got to start thinking about your work rather than play or whatever. So I think I turned the corner of, uh, then, uh, very studious at, at high school, Sydney Boys High, and then went on to study aeronautical engineering mm -hmm. at Sydney Uni. And why did I uh, choose aeronautical engineering? Because when I was a kid, I wanted to be an aeroplane. I didn't want to be a pilot or uh, an engineer to design and build it. I wanted to be an aeroplane which was very, very strange. And so the only way I, I, I thought I could do that is, well, let me understand how, you know, how birds fly or how aeroplanes fly, and then maybe I can figure out what I want to do in between. So I did aeronautical engineering. I graduated. I worked for Qantas while I was studying. Mm -hmm. And then it was a classic fork in the road moment. With aero engineering, you do a shitload of computing, right? You're, you're using mid and mainframes just to do simple just to do calculations just to do an assignment so i learned a lot about computing by default and then um uh, when i was working at qantas we were exposed to all facets of the organization sales marketing operations and when i went into the operations room and saw every aircraft plotted around the world with all the telexes going and a computer trying to figure out how to crew up those flights and who should stop where and for how long and when should the plane refuel? What's the best route to take? When, you know, when should we put this pilot on versus, I thought computers are gonna run the world. This is fantastic, they're gonna run the world. So all of a sudden I looked behind the aircraft at all the operational stuff that was going on and I thought, nah, I wanna be part of that. I don't wanna be the puppet, I wanna be the, the, the person holding the strings. So uh, along came the PC uh, Microsoft DOS had just been invented and I went even crazier and I thought oh my god th these supercomputers mainframes we're using this is the beginning of the end for them because this is all computing is going to get small 
So I decided, no, nah, I need to go back to uni. I need to learn about business. I need to uh, find out how technology can, and business can coexist because I thought that was more interesting than building an, an aircraft because all of that was behind air, uh, building aircraft anyway. And then uh, all of a sudden, management consulting was born at that time. And all the big eight at the time, you know, Price uh, Waterhouse, Coopers, IBM, Arthur Anderson back then, went on an explosive recruiting run. And they came after anyone technical, anyone who could, uh, you know, uh, do their, their sums, mathematicians, scientists, whoever, engineers. And they basically uh, recruited us straight out of uni. And I decided, no, nope, I'm gonna go with this. Uh, I'm not gonna go back to uni. I'm gonna take that job. I don't know what to expect. You know, these are business consultants and I'm, you know, and I'm an aeroplane designer. I, you know, there were archaeologists joining with me. Bruce McKinnon joined me with me at that same same time. So did uh, uh, Greg Carroll. And um, they, you know, they, they taught us marketing. They taught us accounting. They taught us industrial relations. They taught us manufacturing because we had to build systems for those because back then everything was custom made, right, on main, mainframes. Then I did all of that, and then all of a sudden I thought, no, what if you don't have to build things? What if somebody figures out how to build a system that does everything and just makes it configurable, sells it to people for, you know, for a reasonable amount of money, but let's say, you know, 20% of what it would cost to custom make it, and all you need to do is just set parameters. And I told my partner at the time, I wanna do this. I don't know what, what it's called. I want to do prefabricated software. And then I realized it was called package software. That's what I want to do. He said, have I got the job? He went away, came back a few months later, and he said, there's this little German company called SAP that we just did an exclusive deal with. So they're popular in Germany, but they want to go global, and they want to use a major consulting company to help them do it. And Arthur Anderson was selected because they were all over the world. They had mm -hmm. they, all the biggest companies in the world had Arthur Anderson as their auditor. So uh, that was probably Hasso Plattner's greatest ever move. And then his second greatest ever move was to uh, limit the contract to three years, not to do it open-ended, right? Because it exploded as, as we all know. So I got involved in that. And uh, the step one was to bring SAP to Australia to trial it before it went into the US. Because SAP and Arthur Anderson didn't mind stuff ups in Australia, but they didn't want to stuff up in the United States. That was a big market. So that was it. I got together with a group of people and we brought SAP out here. I met Hasso Plattner, we had dinner with him. We met all of the, the key executives at the time. It was a very flat structure back then. You had access to the CEO anytime you wanted to and um, hired all the salespeople, hired all the first round of um, consultants. And there I was, uh, you know, configuring, looking up tables. There was no IMG back then. If it, You know, you had to work out what tables to set up for the software. And so that was a game changer for me because, you know, after that, SAP in Australia just went through the ceiling. I got to manage all the first big projects, um, got to code, um, uh, two-way and three-way matching, I, that was my code. Went back to Germany and got in, incorporated in the product because that's what people wanted. Um, I did standing journals, you know, the repeating, the repeating journals. 
Um, but I think the best thing I ever did with SAP was when SAP bought this pods uh, company, I forget their name now, they were Canadian, and we put it into Maya at, at all stores and the, the board um, was very nervous about signing off on it because no cash, no business in, in, in retail. And they said, um, and, and therein lies the dilemma, how do I solve that problem? I, I'm not, I can explain technically what we're going to do and it's not gonna mean anything to a board. So I said, what if we were to um, test the system in real life, in a real store, on the live system, we do UAT in the live environment, not, not a copy of the li live environment. Uh, all my architects um, exploded and had fits. And anyway, I had worked out how to do it before I, I told anybody. So then I told the architects, the architects said, yeah, that took them two or three days. They said, no, we think this is possible. So we carved out areas within the live system, carved out areas within the P&L reporting to, so that we could tell that it was us. And we did everything through the furniture department. And I reckon that was the pinnacle. That was the best thing I ever did was, was then. So that's how I got into SAP from, you know, from, uh, from building, from designing aircraft to working out how they're used to ferry people around and the equipment that lies beyond that. And, and from then on, it was, um, you know, it was SAP from then on. But I've done a lot of non-SAP stuff and the common denominator is always people. Mm -hmm. People make IT projects hard, not the technology. People do. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk a little bit more about people. So if, if you know how to read people, if you know how to handle, and that's a, that doesn't mean being manipulating them or being rude what? to them or whatever. It doesn't mean that. Did you not accuse me of not being honest with my audience about the use of manipulation to get what you want? Look, people look, call it influencing. Look, right? it's, it's inf yeah, look. Because it's a nicer way of saying it. And manipulation is, is in its, you know, by, in its context is, it sounds dirty, right? It's not a bad word. Uh, it, when physios manipulate muscles. Mm. They don't massage them, they manipulate them. So manipulating is not a bad word. But but let me ask you, but the reason why you're talking about manipulation and, and, and people and, and reading people and how people are so important in the project and you keep talking about people skills is because the way forward for any project is by being able to, I hate to say it, but, but make sure that people are sort of focused on getting the same outcome you want from the project, right? Working uh, together. Sorry, maybe it's a different Complementing each other. Working together, but but for what purpose, right? Not yep. just working together. You've got a vision that you need to deliver this project, right? You've got your scope, you've got your benefits, et cetera, et cetera. You've got the time frame, but you understand what are the roles that these individuals need to play to support that? And how do I influence those people on the role that they need to play to get the project moving forward. It's like a football team. So it's not it's not influencing them to sort of, you know, without a purpose in mind. It's oh, like, no, it's not, you shall now work 24 hours for me. <laughs> it's not like that, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's like a coach and a, and a football game. You're talking if, my language now. If the coach the knows game. each individual player, if the coach has played every position, and that's my gift to everybody here today, yeah. you want to know how to read people? You want to know how to understand them? Do their job. Be a tester at some point in your career. Do data conversion at some point in your career. Do the change management. Do the PMO. 
do some programming because then you understand what that is and the brain and mentality and attitude that goes behind it and therefore you can manipulate it later on. Do you see what I mean? So it's not read the chapter on testing or do a test on that. Do that person's job, even for a little while. So do you believe the best leaders have done a little bit of everything? Absolutely. Absolutely. Do a little bit of everything. Now, you, you know, we're, we're people with various capabilities. Some people can't do everything. Do as much as you can, right? Do as much as you can, because if you, the more you understand about roles, the more you can judge that is the right person in that role. I know what that role is because I've done it, is that the right personality in that role? And is it the right brain in that role? Because that's the other secret. It's not just about the resume capability. It's about that person's character and their personality and the way they they deal with others around them. Yeah. Right? I would agree with that. Like some of the, And that's why I love um, the recruiting industry as well. What you see is most of the leaders, 99% of the leaders have actually done the, the job. I think that's what it means to say, be, be a follower first before you're a leader. That's why when people ask me, are you a leader in, 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 of this project? I say, right now I'm a follower. Right now I'm with the herd because I want to understand uh, who they are and what their capabilities are. And that's why when I, when I do projects from start to finish, the most important part of the project for me is right at the beginning when I get to choose the team. Mm-hmm. And I get to do it with the client, with the business. And I say to them, take three months to pick the right team. Don't listen to the, to the executive or to the board that says, quick, 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 we've got to start it today. Because what they'll do is they'll put any old shit on, on the project and you'll have to deal with it in mm. six months' time. There'll be delays. The budget will go through the, through the ceiling. It's better to time out, let me and my counterpart Right, so the client project manager and I get together and we pick our team. It's like when we were kids, we picked the cricket team, we picked the thing, we took our it, jolly old time. Is there an argument? Do it. Though, is there an argument too that until you sort of bleed with well, I mean, yes, there's a there's a initial sort of perspective on who you want in that team, right? And that's really important. Yep. And yep. obviously CVs, experience, you know, the whole talent profiling is really important. Have they done previous projects that are similar to the one that you're looking at, yep. et cetera, et cetera. But then it comes down to after working with them for a while, um, really, do they know what they're doing? You know, do you work well together? You, and it, you almost need to be in the trenches a little bit with, with them. With them, absolutely right. So, so a high-performing team isn't just something you build after three months. It's you're constantly evolving and constantly absolutely, yeah, yeah. A- absolutely. So, h- how does how do you do that? Take them out for a beer or a coffee, you know, spend some time with them, get to know them. You know, there's, it, 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 it is great personal time, you know, that you, you invest, but they're doing a critical role. You've got to be comfortable, you've got to be sure that they're going to rise to the occasion because you don't know up front. Like you said, you've, you've, your gut tells you, let's start with this person, but I need to check in with them at various points. Well, good, good segue, and this is obviously yeah. jumping around, but like in terms of your project management methodology and yeah. your style, how would you how would you classify it? What would you think is really the kind of the key flavor of how you operate? Easy. Yes, yes. First of all, methodology. Do you know that there's no such word in, in, the, in the English dictionary? No. No, methodology doesn't exist. Really? It's method or methods. 
So delivery method or delivery methods is the is the I don't know the Oxford uh, anointed word. There's no such thing as methodology. And you know, I only learnt that a few years ago. <laughs> I didn't even know. <laughs> I didn't even know myself. I think I I think I tried to translate it into Greek, and and it just came up blank. And then I went to the Oxford Dictionary. Anyway, that's a that's a side. Where thing. does the word come from then? Uh, I, I don't know. I I think we just invented it. It's it, it. You know, IT just invented it. Like we invent. There's a lot of words. Lots of words. Of words. We invent so many words. Oh my goodness. Anyway, so. In the early years, right, um, when there was no HR, um, and I, I have to preface my answer with that, there was just a payroll <laughs> office. You go to a window and you collect your cash. So w- when I joined Arthur Anderson, there was no HR. So back then, uh, the partner, um, I guess the partner influence on us was command and control, right? You, you, are, you are the commander, mm. and if anything goes wrong, I'm going to shoot you. Mm. If anything goes right... I'm going to get the pay rise that that uh, you it's command and control and even the clients that I worked for in the early days you know Philips you know um, Caltex they would uh, they would get to know me that you know we'd meet each other at the beginning of the project then they would hand me a gun they 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 said the bullets are here shoot anyone you want just get this project over the line in this amount of time for this amount of money. You you you're, you do whatever you want. So it was very much heavy heavy hand command and control. And I got used to it. That that that's the way I operated for quite a few years, until you know the industry formed. You know until the methods improved, um, until uh, clients better understood all the factors that go into making a project longer and more expensive. Uh, some of them being their own people, not not deciding things, uh, and you know not towing the line. So then it kind of morphed into um, bribery and guilt. So, so that was probably, so the R2 world was probably command and control. The R3 world was bribery and guilt. So what I found out was if I could get underneath people's skin in a real way, not in a fake way, if I could get people to just love me and, and if, people, if what I wanted them to do made sense and if I could get them to actually kick goals, not, not, you know, sort of uh, manufacture the goal, but actually get them to kick a, good, uh, a goal themselves. And their, their, their confidence went up in me. I, could, I knew I could then send them into battle. I, how, how do you do that though, John? I know you said about how to take them for a beer, take them for a coffee, but yeah, how do you, how do, you, you do that? You, 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 sometimes you have to let them fall and you help them get up. But you do it in a not obvious way, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you make them look good in front of their peers. You make them look good in front of in front of the client. But you you do it whilst knowing that progress is being made. You're not doing it just for the show. You're doing it just to make the progress. They feel I've made progress. I've I've got accolades. You know how how many people just want accolades? They don't want money. Mm. They want accolades. Mm. Well, accolades first, money second. Recognition. Recognition. Yeah, yeah recognition. There's a lot That's of power good. in a, a well done. Yeah. yeah. So you give someone recognition, then you know that when it comes to the dark times, you know when we're behind on systems integration test, and friggin' new AT is falling apart, you can say. You know, what do you do? You think you can do this for me? They do it because they don't want to upset me. They don't. Why did you look at they, Peter when you said behind? 
it's the it's that guilt thing, you know. It it but it works, but it's it's huge investment, huge investment. Why don't why isn't it more commonplace? Because project managers don't have the time. I mean, I don't have a family, but can you imagine if I had three kids? How do I invest that time? How do I tell my wife? Uh, there's you know there's a person here that I really need to work on. I, I I need to have dinner with them tonight, and I need to help them see things a different way. Yeah, I'd probably have Bill on that and say that right. the good thing that you had was this enormous amount of energy. Like it was just so obvious that you had this great energy, but the um, time that you would take to sit down with somebody and explain your thought process and what you were thinking, and it was so articulate and so succinct and so logical that the time to do that, you felt invested, right? You were investing in the individual and something I probably suffer at when I'm at a fast pace. I'm like, just look, can you just do it as opposed to let's mm. take the time out? Mm. I want to sit down and talk to you about it. So you do feel empowered. And I think you picked out quite a few people that you knew had got good ability to, to um, go beyond themselves and you invested in them. Absolutely. That's, that's you don't about. do it with everybody? No. You do it with what I call the four pillars. Mm. You know, because that's what keeps the roof up and the wall straight, right? You, you pick your four pillars and they're obvious. You know the four pillars within the first two weeks of the project. You know where the shiners are and you go straight for them. You invest with them. So that when somebody says a good project manager surrounds uh, themselves with good people, I think that's what they mean. You know, mm. you can't do everything yourself. There's right? also another bill on this. It's probably another segue into one of the questions, sure. which is, you know, the name of the podcast here, right? We're calling it God is in the Detail. Yeah. And you picked that because yeah, we'll talk about we that, always talk yeah. about devils in the detail. Mm. And one of the things that uh, you had above um, a lot of people I've ever worked with is the amount of detail that you you were aware of and wanted to be across was frightening. So the point was that you were always felt off guard. So you wanted to be better because you knew you were going to get questions, you know. So there's a bit of a carrot and a stick. There's the investment in the person, but... You knew, you knew he knew more than you, so you wanted to basically go and invest that time to, into the detail, and the detail is absolutely pivotal. It Can is. I ask you, why is it for you? Why is the why is God in the detail? Why is that so important? Because you talked about your project management yep. methodology. Yeah. Why is God in the detail part of that? Okay, uh, detail is at the at the lowest level possible. That's where everything happens or doesn't happen. The quicker you get there, the more information you have. The quicker you'll discover root cause if you've got a problem and the quicker you'll get a solution in place and the more decisive things will be in the detail. Detail is, uh, is where everything happens. It doesn't happen up in the clouds. It happens down on the ground. So that's why for me, God is in the detail. God be meaning the answer, right? The answer to or the solution for that problem or the appropriate design for this particular requirement. Right, it, it, the higher you go, the blurrier that requirement gets, and the blurrier the solution. And why is that the so clearer? Important? Why, why is that so well, because important? because it saves time. It actually saves time and money. Mm. Detail saves time and money. People say no, it doesn't, because uh, you you if you dive into the detail too quickly, you could be off on 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 a tangent. Right, and um, my view is when you get to the detail, you'll know. You, you'll know where the direction is. You know, up here, you can't see it. You know, somebody somebody's telling you the lake is over there and I'm too high to see it. Mm -hmm. But if I'm a little bit lower, I, I, I can see it faster. I think it actually saves time. I read, I read a great line, uh, I'm trying to remember now, that um, mistakes are made from experience and experience is made from mistakes. No, actually, what yeah, is that? Something like, like that, yeah. No, no. I've, Forget, I've heard that. Cut that out of the script, but I, I'm going to ask this question. Mm. So you're talking about God is in the detail and, and you're talking about your project management style. 
at some point you would have failed along the way to kind of get to a point where you feel confident what you do now. Um, what were those failings and, and, and why do you think they were failings? Oh, look, if, 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 if uh, an SAP project manager doesn't expect failings or problems in an SAP project, they're, they're not doing an SAP project or they don't understand it. Of course, there's going to be problems and, and failings. Well, failings in the sense that, you know, you might make a, a, a wrong call too soon, mm-hmm. right? But as long as you have a plan B and a plan C, as long as you can correct yourself from that. Have you got an example of this? An example of that. Oh, geez. Um, so, so, so let's talk about testing, right? A lot of people say uh, systems integration testing, which, which is testing the system end-to-end, should only involve the project, should involve anyone from the business, right? So um, you think, well, and the argument for that is if you bring them in a little bit earlier, then when those same people do UAT, they'll have some experience of the system. UAT will be will be faster. I say as a concept, that's that's really, really good. But if you don't take the time out to pick the right people to come to the systems integration test, then you'll get redesigned. So suddenly your scope will blow out. Mm. This person that you that you're just in a hurry just to just to show management that you're that you're a, a broad thinker. I'm thinking I'm thinking creatively here. I'm going to bring your very own people out here sooner so that they can get more experience. If you don't take that requisite time to pick the right people, because I've been burnt by this, and you bring any shit, you get redesigned. People go, who who. Who said that we do credits like this, right? We, remember we got some of this online and we had to swap that person out immediately because otherwise we were staffed. So the point you're trying to make is, uh, yeah. is you know, you start off, you do this big design, you do your big build, but you disappear for months on end. You come back and you try to get those individuals who helped you come up with the design back in for Correct. testing. Yes. They may not be available. First time they're looking at this is during um, system testing and they weren't the original person who came up with the Correct. requirement. Correct. So they're redesigning. And it's like, oh my God, they're redesigning, yep. which yep. costs yep. a lot of money, yep. substantial amount of time. A- absolutely. Yeah. And that's why I think Agile, you know, moving away from waterfall to Agile, that's why I love Agile so much yep. because you're getting that constant feedback. Well, yep. Yeah, what, um, what mantras do you, do you have? Right. My, well, my favorite mantra is God is in the detail, right? Because that God, God is good. He, there's answers with, with God. There's goodness, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, I, I don't want to deal with the devil. Right? The devil is up there in the clouds. He likes to keep things blurry. He doesn't want you. He doesn't want you to see the truth or the answer because he knows you're going to waste your time and money. Mm-hmm. Right. So stuff you, devil. I'm I'm going straight to the answer. I'm bypassing you. I'm going straight to the answer. That's that's what drives me on on that. That's my favorite mantra. Mantra. The next one is communicate, communicate, communicate because I think. Uh, that is the most imp- one of the most important things on a project is people have to talk to one another to the point where you've got to think aloud. So don't wait three days to give me what you think of this. Tell me right now what you're thinking about it. I tell people exactly what's going on. I say, you know what? I think um, I think uh, the director's going to get fired tomorrow. I, I just I I I just tell them exact. I say what I know, you know. Again, that builds confidence. It connects people. And I, when I think aloud, so what, I haven't quite assessed this, but what do you think about the, I'm thinking like this on this particular problem. I, I love that kind of issue because right? you know, Simon and I were talking about, you know, him sort of being quite uh, open to everyone he works with, you know. I think it's great. So you always know what 
what you're team sort of thinking, yeah. you know, and, mm. and you sort of if your it. your thoughts are flawed, there's nothing worse people, than working with somebody and you're going, well, the people who don't what's going on, who don't play their yeah, card, yeah, who hold yeah. their cards close to their chest. But if you think out loud, like Roy King, right? You're never going to confuse a Roy King. <laughs> so you know, especially if you've got architects or business people in the room, uh, if you think out loud, they'll jump on something. They'll go, oh, no, 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 no. That's a flawed thought. You can't go down that path. It's, they save you time. Because here I am thinking I'm on the right path. I take the next four days out to to bottom out my thoughts, write them down on paper, show it to them, and they go, this is a pile of crap. Mm. But if you're thinking out loud, it, they get it straight away. Like Now, they may think that you're a bit of an idiot. You know, you're, you're, you're shooting your gun in all places. But I think that kind of approach in the IT world is generally accepted now. Mm-hmm. You know, people like openness. You know, people like, in, back when I started, you don't do that. You you figure everything out and then you tell everybody because they'll, otherwise they'll think you're an idiot who doesn't know what they're doing and you'll be off the project at the next day. So times have changed. The next one is position, position, position. Always have a position on something. Even the first time somebody walks in the room and says, John, the pipe has burst. Uh, you, you should have an immediate position of it, even though you haven't asked questions, you haven't, uh, because as you develop a position, it forces you to think about that position. What do you mean, an opinion? Or... An, an opinion, an answer, ready to go. Gun to the head, I call it, right? So, uh, but, but you're talking about an everyday project life where, yeah. hey, should we delay going live? Should we delay testing? Yeah, someone walks in and yeah. says, um, today's UAT was meant to achieve, uh, get us to 10%. It, it got us to 2%. You've got to have an instant position. Oh, no, let me think about it. I'll go away. Um, okay, can you, can you, uh, uh, can you grab uh, um, the top 10 scripts that account for the biggest percentages for me? Mm. Position. Off they go. You know what I mean? You can't leave it open because, it, it, because then people start to drift. They start to come up with their own crazy ideas. But you've, you've, you've got to give them some sort of direction, you know. And I reckon that's position, position, position. Senior stakeholders, you know, they, yeah. they really believed in what you were doing yeah. because you always had an opinion, um, whether they liked it or not, and it does give confidence. I get your point. We don't have a position. There's a vacuum. No. That's, that, that's dangerous, you, right? You, and, and you refine that position. Yeah. You either eliminate it and replace it with another position, but you're constantly refining it so that when you're ready to give the answer, bang, you're ready to go. Yeah. Can you lean on other people to have that position? The reason why I asked, yeah. we had um, Alex Aiken on the, on the podcast and he made a good point that kind of resonated with me as well. He said, if he's the smartest per- person in the room, he's in trouble. Yeah, that's that's true. Yeah, that's, really that's absolutely resonate true. resonate with me as well because sometimes you get asked a, you know, a question or it's like, I actually don't know. Yeah. And that's yep. okay. And I'm going to tell people I don't know. Yep. And it's showing that kind of vulnerability that you don't know. Yep, and, and yep. So what's your, what's your view on, on that? Uh, it, it, it asks questions, absolutely. Get advice, right? But I, I would put uh, thoughts in people's heads. So I might not know, uh, but I, I would say, listen, what about this? What about that? Gather is, this is that, information. Is that manipulation again or is that... Uh, it's kind, kind of, kind of. <laughs> now, the very last one, the very last one, um, when the project wins, everybody wins. This is my favourite. Well, it's not my favourite. God is in details, my favourite. But this one... You, you know, uh, uh, this comes down to managing many, many different people from many, many different organisations, mm-hmm. right? This, this so-called vendor management. The way I deal with that is not trying to force one vendor to talk to another. It's personifying the project. Mm. You make the project a 
person. You give it an identity, character, right? In most cases, I impose my own until I can find something in the business that makes it more um, attractive to the business because it's good if the business likes it. But you make it the person. You refer to people by their roles, not by the companies they work for. You, and you associate these roles with that person. So you are the hairdresser for this project. You are the physio for this project. What you do is you try and disconnect, you try and remove the, the, the organisational uh, fabric and you try and personify the project. You give it an identity. Remember, this is what we did with, with Lion. Yeah. And then people do things for the project. They don't do it for themselves or for me or for the you know the client boss or for their boss they do it for the project and that's what do we want to do we want to make sure the project achieves what it achieves and, it you're wins, you're, you're and everybody wins every organization will get the pat on the back yeah. and their bills paid the business will you know the ceo will thank the business that's all that's all you've got to do is focus on that probably get 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 personify the project make it a person own, is your own experience one that Consultant companies have been beaten off. Not yeah, yes, 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 yes. That would have been your common experience the, back in the day. Very early days, yeah. that was the first thing because everybody wanted to be uh, uh, dominate the SAP market, right? And so you had everybody fighting each other. Make you you you, you try and focus them on the project. So it's very hard to build a unified team. Is it is that when when people are considering themselves as a vendor resource rather than actually we're here for the project. Well, because they say, uh, 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 my job is to do testing only. You know, my job is to... So if you can mix and match a little bit, so you just stick to the roles, no, you have a role in the project. Mm. You know, don't don't, um, carve off testing and and say, if anybody walks into that ground, I'm going to shoot them, right? This demarcation mentality. No, you're... You're, you're the test manager, but guess what? That person over there is going to manage uh, all of the defects for those for that testing, even though that's not that's not your role. That's their role. So you try and stick to the roles, the positions on the field, rather than, you know, which club did they come from originally? Who? Where do they live? You know what? You know what? So with, with that approach, did you did you see uh, individuals go above and beyond their their actual scope then they do yeah because because when because the tester relies on uh, the the test the person who's doing the test relies on the fixer to get that defect fixed mm. and back so that they can retest and and tick off so if you play off the roles it's in their best interest to help that uh, fixer as much as they can otherwise they're not going to get their fix tomorrow they're going to get it next week and, and then, you know, they're going to be marked down for not doing their test on time. You see mm, what I mean? Mm. So don't think, oh, you know, uh, Arthur Anderson isn't doing their job. You know, it, it's like I, I think the defect guys, I think they're assigning the defect to the wrong fixer. So the assignment people, maybe there's a problem there. Uh, that's when the test manager or I would get involved. But it's all about roles. Right, you're the test executor. You're the uh, the defect uh, assigner. You're the defect fixer. Just building on something yeah. that um, I just thought was amazing, and all of us do that that we're working in line. You were brilliant. It's a bit like I think 
precision about this sort of branding and marketing. I never, Ooh, yeah. really, I never really understood that in the project. I mean, I sort of did around getting your project name right, getting clear around, you know, what it is that you stand for in terms of your values as a project, et cetera, et cetera. What's the culture you want to bring? But actually denoting things you do in a really clever branding way, like, you know, um, testing wasn't just testing. It was, you know, um, afterburner testing used to call some of the test bases, right? And you come up with all these terms. And it was so funny, the whole program of 300 people start using these terms <laughs> that John had fabricated. But it was marketing these different milestones. And everybody started talking about this um, branding and this milestone. And it meant that everybody uh, was cohesive in this is where we need to go next towards this milestone that's called afterburner testing, as opposed to just testing in this very banal. Or retesting. Because afterburner testing was a repeat of certain tests in certain areas where we had problems. But, you know, what a downer that is. You know, but if you, but because our mainstream testing was Top Gun, right, had that's the Top right. Gun theme, I thought, well, I'm not going to call it retesting. I'm going to call it afterburners. Let's turn the afterburners on, guys, and go supersonic. And, you know, you get a much better much better buy-in, and it's, it's more fun, right? Mm -hmm. But there was consistency, too. Everybody was aware of... Um, the difference between afterburner testing and... Yeah, and, and, and inherently top gun we testing. Doing, inherently what yeah. we were doing, there was no confusion because the branding made it clear. Everybody knew that that's, that's where we're heading next, you know, yep. so... I'm fascinated, John. Some of these terms and the way you manage people and the word that keeps coming through is learn. And I'm like, I'm fascinated how you manage a program, and I can see you get the best out of best out of people. What I'd love to ask you: How do you manage those individuals that don't buy in to your methodology, don't buy into your your vision, and don't buy into those those names. How do you how do you manage those those people that go against the, the lots of red wine, <laughs> <laughs> lots of red wine, and if I feel in most instances it's because they're you know I talked about character and personality just doesn't blend in with the project character mm -hmm. and personality. This is why I keep saying if you personify the project and you give it certain characters and flavors you know we all want our project to listen to people we want our project to consider that not every weekend can be worked yeah i'm just picking stuff now but if you come across an individual that you know their personality character you've got to dismiss them simple as that you know there comes a point in time where you you point out that this is this is this is where the project is. This is where you are. Because sometimes they could be too far above the project. It's not, it's not mm. always about being below the project. It could be too, their head is, they're going too fast. They're too, the expectations are too quick. And it's like, well, you're not carrying the lowest common denominator along with you. And a project is only as good as its lowest common denominator, right? And it's only so much we can do with the lowest common denominator. Because there are, if there's only one client person that knows that area, then that's it. That, that's them. You know, we can't. So it's fair to say his tolerance will be low. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's, yeah, because look, the project is big. There are a lot of people and you can't spend too much time uh, with people. But I do give them a go. Absolutely. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I think you do give them a go. But I think yeah. it's, it, you know, it's unfortunately when you're in that project space, um, You've got to make some difficult calls pretty you quickly. You got to, because, yeah. You know, we talked about this negativity, mm, individuals yep. bringing yep. it down. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Not, not, yep. not part of the kind of the team culture and how much that can impact. You know? Absolutely, but you don't make it public. It's a very private thing. 
Uh, and I, I like to, to pick a social setting. That's the investment that I make over and above, you know, the HR payroll, we're giving you your first warning. But you're you know, also, we're you're... giving you your second warning. I don't do shit like that. It's, it's, it's off the table, off the record. It relaxes them. Yeah, and I, I say honestly, this is this is what I want from you. What do you want from me? What do you expect from the person that you're working with? And if I can't stitch that together in a social setting, then the work setting has doesn't stand a chance. That's where the red wine comes in. That's where the red wine comes in. You know, if that doesn't work, then how, you know how's it, how how are we going to have peace and 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 unity in a in a in a meeting room you know where there are you know stakeholders there are people expecting answers not gonna it's not gonna work you know hey john um, yeah question for you um so i know your your sort of career has been very much you know you, you take on these big projects and then it takes six months off and you go travel yes yep i think you've traveled um Every single country in Africa now, or uh, well, close to. How many countries? Uh, hundred, hundred and three countries at the moment. You travel one hundred three countries. One hundred and three countries. Ninety-eight on the UN full UN membership. You know, there's one ninety-eight of the one nine three, but two zero three of the of the one nine eight because there's some observer countries and countries in dispute and so stuff like that. One hundred and three countries. One hundred and three. Yeah, let's call it. Yeah. And I know during that yeah. that, 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 that travel, what you do is an awful lot of philanthropy. You run or own and fund an orphanage in Thailand? I do. But what I do is I make comedy documentaries, oh. right? So like Adriana over there, I've got I've got similar gear, but very highly compact gear yeah. because otherwise you'll get it confiscated. You can't wear your cameras outside. They've got to be hidden in your body. And the microphones are, are tiny. I use all tiny stuff. Uh, I make comedy documentaries, which is a genre I think I invented in 1993 before the internet. I used to do it on VHS on the big cameras. What do you mean by comedy? So you, so comedy what, documentary. What you... So I will, I will interview people, locals, and I will say, "Tell me about this this ancient monument here. What what, what does this mean?" I'll find somebody who knows something about it. Um, I will I will uh, dance with the locals. Teach me your your customary dance, and I'll dance with them in, in my speedos. Like Congo. Uh, yeah, we do, I do these in all the, these yeah, countries. Yeah. Uh, lions. I'll get out of the game car and 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 go towards the lion because the local has told me the lion has just eaten. When the stomach is that big, it won't it won't do anything. It's just sitting there. It's in a it's in a stupor, and I go and photograph photograph it very close. And you know, I do crazy stuff. But the idea of that is, I bring it back, edit it, magnificent fast music, subtitles, overlay, special effects, hold these big, huge launch events, fifty to one hundred people. Um, I usually do them on my birthday, so instead of gifts, I say donate. And I've got two uh, particular places that I, I'm involved in uh, directly. One is an orphanage in Bangkok, in the slums of Bangkok. Um, those kids, uh, most of them have AIDS because they're, they're, um, they're, they're children of um, prostitutes who have died. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's an orphanage in Sierra Leone, in, in Freetown. There's actually three or four of them. And you, you remember in Sierra Leone, they cut the limbs off people during their civil war. Well, they take care of those people now. Those people are older and they've had kids, believe it or not. So they need help. So, um, so I put that money towards them. But that's what I do. So I, I travel. I can bring back this travel to my family and friends. Just family and friends. I don't put it on YouTube and stuff. It's on Vimeo because I think it's better quality. But I bring back. We all have fun. 
you know, we we laugh because the comedy documentary, you, it's funny. It's, it's really comic. fascinating. But you learn. Yeah, you learn you at the exactly. same time. Yeah, comedy, documentary. Um, I, you know, I make some money. I give and I give that money uh, to. I use it uh, for my charity. So it's a, it's a. I think it's a good. Have you shown any of them on the the programs? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I I, yeah. I often do because. Um, so for example, if we have a milestone event, I'll put one of my films on, and it's it's a riot. Check it out, JohnGolfin.com. <laughs> but the really interesting is, you know, like we, we, we talk about... Lovely you know, plug-in. <laughs> that's right, we get the plug-in. Yeah. Well, yeah, I don't make money off of these. Like I said, I raise money indirectly for the charities. Right? I, I just remember talking about resilience on, on my podcast and talking about, you know, how to stay resilient during an SAP project. It must be that when you come back from some of these places... And oh, yeah, some definitely. Some of these places you're in, like, they're really... Oh, they're horrible. Poverty stricken. Oh, yeah. And you're, yep. you're in there for weeks at a time, traveling... Yep. And eating yep. their food, and you know, on your own for weeks, and you yeah, come back yeah. and there's project. It must feel so banal. You well, know? it's like I think Jay, you said it. It's like somebody having served in the armed forces and having seen action, and they come back and they're, they're running a project. Like one of my best friends, Paul Paul Gardner. I'll, I'll mention Paul because he's he was a very very good program manager. He was a captain in a submarine in the mm. Australian mm. submarines. And, and he's, he, you know, I, I could see it in his face. You, you think this is a problem, you know. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. you know, you're, you're under the water. You, you get a message from, you know, one of the guys in the back saying we're taking on water, you know. You, you turn to your navigator and you say, how soon can you get us to the surface? And he goes, uh, I can't. Um, you know, the back two compartments are going to flood. And it's like, quick, get everybody out of there, you know, because if, 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 if he doesn't take these decisions, people die. But no one dies on a on an no, IT program, project. Yeah, yeah. No one dies. Yeah, you know, so on, um, Amanda <laughs> Oakenfold's yeah podcast when she that's, came that's on, what she, she was in the Navy and she ab- was in the, the Air abso- Force. Absolutely, like, I've looked down barrels of guns. So, what does it matter? Yeah, well, it, ex- exactly right. And and you know, when I have faced, you know, um, you know, a spitting angry Nigerian, you know, you know, one centimeter from my face, saying, "What are you doing here?" You know what I mean? And, you, and then you think. I'm not going to mind if somebody raises their voice, you know, <laughs> where, where we're going through the test strategy, you know. So it's, you're right, it does, it resets your whole frame of reference. You know, you come back and you think, thank God we are living in paradise, you know, um, compared to most of the world, you know. And there's a lot of people out there living um, from day to day, from hour to hour, very desperate. Yeah, we're very lucky. Very yep. lucky. Yeah. Um, I'm going to bring the question back to your projects. Yes. Tell us a bit about your favourite oh, project. Wow. And why that is. Runner, it, it, it stands heads above uh, many. It was the, um, uh, the the what we call the top project top top project uh, for rice growers at in Leeton. They're they're known as Sunrise yeah, yeah, uh, more yeah. recently. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that was back in 96, 96 to 98. I, I had, um, I'd been hired by PW at the time but to help build up their practice, right? They were new to SAP. They knew I was one of the first people uh, on the ground. They knew I was very good at inventing uh, delivery methods because I've, I've invented many. Um, and I, I said, we use that project to basically launch uh, the, the entire practice. But it wasn't only great for that. Um, the the scope was magnificent. It was wall to wall, 
At that time, rice growers was a cooperative and they wanted to become a company and float on the stock exchange. So that was one project. Another project was a complete transformation of the way they did business because they wanted to break into export markets in a big way because they were basically the Australian rice industry. And the third aspect was wall-to-wall SAP and I had to manage all three. Right? What do I know about a corporate? You know, I'm standing in, in, the, in the boardroom because in those days, the board wanted to meet the project manager, the board, not just the CEO or whatever. And, and that goes to show you they're all farmers and they're thinking, you know, how much is this going to cost again? I, I, I want to eyeball the, 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 you know, the person that's going <laughs> to run this. So I did a presentation in, in the boardroom and, um, you know, answered all the questions, went on like I am now. And then, uh, and then, the, then the, the CEO turns to the chairman and says, um, do you have any, uh, any last questions or, or comments or whatever? And the chairman said, I hope we're not paying this guy by the word. <laughs> and it just brought it just brought the house down. So that resound that that resounds uh, in my, in my head. He I used not either. <laughs> he used to come and visit the project on the Friday every afternoon and take us out for beers. The chairman. So we were in a, a, a building downtown. We all stayed in farmhouses. These big three four bedroom farmhouses with acreage. The, the consultants would want to stay over the weekends. They'd bring their families down. We had parties in each different house every every week and we invited a different part of the organisation. So one week was marketing party with all the marketeers. Another one was sales party with all the salespeople or packaging or, um, you know, manufacturing or what was back then, milling, right? And we did this and the connection we had with the business was unparalleled. You couldn't tell who was a consultant and who was a business a person or, or who was just a local, you know, um, just stopping by to, to, to watch why there's all these people in white suits and ties walking, walking down the road in 42 degrees heat. Yeah, yeah. So um, it really brought, brought us, it, it, ticked, it ticked all the boxes, magnificent scope, magnificent people, magnificent setting. You know, we had a business process re-engineering people. We had accountants, uh, sorry, legal people. We had all sharing houses and, and it was just, it was, it was, it was, un, it was unparalleled. That's where, well, that's how, well, how do you deliver? Well, how was your liver? Oh, my liver. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a different story, but um, uh, that's where I met John Penny, yep. right? And yep. Mark Miller. No, no, that's, no, no. that's where we all forged these yeah. lifelong friendships. Um, no, John, so tell me, what do you, what do you think a successful project looks like? When you can sit down and consume five dozen oysters and wash them down <laughs> with five bottles of Gewürztraminer, which you know is my favourite wine, in uh, this very idyllic place called Victoria Point in Brisbane, with the rice growers program manager that you worked with 23 years ago. That's what success is for me. These friendships, of course. These friendships, obviously the repeat business that PW got after the project. We did what we had to do. We were late. We went over budget and we were late because, because of many reasons. But I think you're the first yeah. program director, Ooh. project manager ever said that. Oh, yeah, by yeah, the way. yeah, 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 yeah. But, so but, refreshing. But if you, if you do it by consultation, yeah. 
by consultation with the business, with the, the people that have hired you, with every everybody in the same room has made that decision, it, it's it's a mute point after that. It's the new it's the new normal, right? If everybody understands it. So despite all of that, um, uh, you know, the business went on to do big things. They boomed uh, in the export. Now, you know, you know, you want the business to be successful, right? They have to make money with mm-hmm. the system or save money with the system, right? Otherwise, it's just a bunch of people having a good time, right? And that's that's not really all that great. But when you can have that relationship with the business and carry it forward and, you know, you visit each other's houses and you, you know, baptise each other's kids and... That's magnificent. That that's what success is for me. Um, not not you know not just the old you know budget tick, yeah. timetable tick, but these relationships. And I still measure success that way. So the, the you know I know I'm going to be seeing you and Matt Youngman and Con Kumakellis and Mark years after we we finished our our Lion project. And for me that that means we did something right. You know. So. Um, so another aspect of project success for me is when, for example, uh, in uh, the Lion Project, I had uh, one of the uh, data conversion guys who was only there for three months come up to me and say, "I have, you know, I, I understand I've done my job and I need to go. Uh, you know, it's I'm, I wish I I could stay longer than three months, but that was his his role, and we were going for two years. Then it was a three year project, and he said, "You know what?" I have learned more from just watching you and others in this project than I have in my entire university course. And I love that. When I hear that, I think if you can play out what you know, if you can perform the method the or methodology, let's use that word, rather <laughs> than, than constantly verbalise it, or, but actually act it out, mm. magnificent. And and it sinks in, and people see it. yes, it is. It is. It is magnificent. Absolutely magnificent. I love that. When I hear that, I'm thinking I'm doing I'm doing something right here, and so are the people working with me, right? Because because it's just just as important that they act out the same way I'm acting out. You know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, John, what 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 do you think makes a good project manager? What what are the what's the secret sauce for a good project manager? I, I, I'll I don't want to stick, say project manager, I mean program manager, program director, you know, CIO, delivery. Any leader, whatever, basically, yeah. Leader, yeah. basically. Yeah. Let me start by saying. In the project space. Uh, what a project uh, uh, and an SAP project, what a project manager isn't, mm. is someone who feels the need to have a, a plan at all times, an issue log at all times, and sits there ticking it off. That's not a project manager for me. So that's different from position, yeah? Yeah, it's different from position. I still think the grassroots, you've got to have a plan. You've got to have a plan, right? Planning is very important, um, characteristic to have. Or always know what the road ahead looks like. because Not because some QA person is going to ask you for it to tick off a box, but because you can use it to actually pace everybody. Right, you can you can set goals for people in terms of timeframes, right? Mm-hmm. So you remember how we used to? I used to say to people, let's time box stuff, mm-hmm. because you may not know how long you need for something. You know, you're designing, you know, you're designing, a, a, you know, a sales system uh, for the very first time. But I know from experience that we can usually crack this in th- in two weeks. 
So we're going to time box it. It's much like the agile technologies, right? Where you time everything's in sprints and you time box them. So the ability to time box and to set bookends, I think is very important because it sets the scene for the team. Uh, detail is obviously very, for me, a good project manager can consume detail and not choke, right? I'm not bagging people who operate at very senior senior levels, but if you have a very senior level person who can understand, who can quickly understand the detail of a problem that they're faced with, because this problem is going to mean the difference between, you know, a one month delay and a one week delay, then you've got to be able to lower yourself in there without chucking. Right? Mm-hmm. So I think detail is, is extremely important. But for me, um, front and centre is is an understanding people. Pe- people is, if, if for me, is the key factor. Mm-hmm. A good SAP project manager will forget that they're a project manager for a bit and just focus on the fact that they're a person and there are other people in the room when they've all got a job to do and they're going to become either a coach, a priest, or a parent or a diplomat, right? And they're going to work out how 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 this is the goal over here these are the people to to achieve the goal how am i going to put stitch them all together to achieve that and what are the the time based goals i'm going to set for them to get there so if that makes sense people planning and and understanding and understanding the end, the end goal so good sap project managers that's what they do and and they will go so far as to will and deal just to get a person, you know, the right person to do the right job, and the and the right outcome to, uh, you know, to come about. Do you think that's um, a lot easier when you're together in an office environment as opposed to being remote? Absolutely. And in, I know, obviously, we've been forced to work remote. You know, at, at the moment, do you have to adapt to to that? And then, if so, how? Look, it's it's. Today's world, it's it's kind of impractical to have every single person, right? Because you do you can do development offshore, you can do testing offshore, you can even do data conversion offshore, right? If you're allowed to. But the the central pillars, like the the person managing test execution, the person managing test fixing, the person managing training, the person managing environments, all these critical peoples who can trip over each other should be together in the same room. Mm. Now, if they can't physically be together in the same room, then they should be on bridges and connected on screen all the time and with offshoots for very specific things that need need to be done. When, when we got hit with mm. COVID, March 2020, when all of a sudden no one come, it, it just happened on the spot. No one could come in. Mm. So I thought, well, when I get my pillars together, we, we basically get together in a room and we... We, we discuss what we need to discuss and then we'll peel off. So person A and person B will go off and talk about fixing. You know, person D and E will go and talk about how we, how we share the training environment with, with the testers, right? So we translated that to, you know, rooms. You know, the team, the general, what I call, remember the major bridges and minor bridges? So the major bridge was all, all the heads, the people who are running all of the, the competencies. And the minor ones was if two of them or three of them had to get together in a subcommittee to solve a particular problem. And we had those going all the time. So you could dial, you could, you know, unmute and say, what do you do? You know, I've discovered this, you know, or I think I've got an idea about how we might solve your problem. Mm-hmm. And that's how we got it. But co-location 
is extremely important. And in the early years... And you're a face... Yeah. You love the face of face. I do. I do. I do. I do. But at that stage when we went to remote, a lot of us knew each other and were comfortable working with well, each we were Well, we were already in each other's pockets, right? Mm-hmm. So it made it easier. You know, if COVID had hit at the start of the yeah. project, that would have been a very different equation because we don't yet know each other. I mean, how do you how do you bond with somebody on a screen? Yeah, you can't. You know, it's very difficult. You've got to you know, you've got to look at them in the eyes. You've got to see the little deflections in their face. And you know, how do you how do you share red wine on on a screen? It's impossible. <laughs> Just one of the things that your approach manager style was I thought something you didn't mention. You know, you talk about time box and, and um, getting people focused in the time yep. box. You always used to talk about, which I thought was great, how project managers constantly have to make compromises all day long. Oh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And yeah, the yeah. critical path is what they should be focused on. Correct. So when they're thinking about decisions and compromising, it's always based on the critical path, you know, which I thought was a great way of looking Absol- at it. Ab- ab- absolutely. Constantly doing that all day long. Is that, is that and, and, yeah, and that's, that's the way not to lose or disengage people and say, uh, I don't want to listen to you, you know. Um, t- tell me, t- help me understand how this dilemma affects the critical path. Because if it doesn't, then, you know, goodness to you, you don't have to worry. You know, your, your, your slowdown is not going to affect the, the, the end result, right? So the, uh, the go-live date or the, or the budget. So you've actually bought yourself some more time. Congratulations. So mm-hmm. you can really inverse that. But yes, crit- critical path is 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 king. But do you, you think know? knowing do you think knowing the critical path is also a thing? Because you know you, you've got to know it off by heart. Mm-hmm. Project managers but do you know the critical path for a billion dollar project can can go on one piece of paper? Mm-hmm. Critical paths are not guys, they're not it's not rocket science, I know. It's not rocket science. And you need to know those critical path bookends off by heart. Mm. You know, some you hear people talking, and you go up and you go, no, 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 no. The end of UAT is on this day, right? The you don't you don't have to worry about when the last lot of fixes will go in because they don't affect the beginning of UAT. They don't. so you've got to constantly remind people to go back to the critical path. And I put the critical path up everywhere. I even used to make placemats when we were in the office and I said, you're going to have your lunch on the critical path because I want that thing to burn in your brain. Not because, you know, I'm, I'm going to, uh, it's a tick and flick exercise and I'm going to mark you down if you don't get to it because it, it because it's going to take the whole team to get to a milestone. Mm. A critical mm. path milestone doesn't rely on one person. It re- re- relies on a million people, you know. So the pressure's not on you, but you've got to understand uh, you know, what you're doing, how it affects the critical path. And I usually like to explain it. People want a dependencies thing, which in practical terms doesn't work, not for big projects, right? I could spend half my life stitching up, you know, dependencies, and then all of a sudden somebody does something and you've got to re-stitch it all over again. I, I manage through blocks, and then under those blocks is a more detailed plan, and under that plan there's a more detailed plan, and there's one person managing each one of those, and we all understand what the repertoire is. Why do I have to? Why do I have to write that understanding down for an auditor? Because it takes a million years, or an office full of so-called um, what do they call them? Um, uh, planners or, or whatever. And it's just a waste. It's schedulers. It's a waste of time. Uh, I get two of my two or three key pillars to talk to one another, and we we all know. We all know how it cascades. I know that if Jay delays, he'll delay me. If I delay, if I get delayed, you get delayed. You, but you're the critical path guy, 
So and that comes to experience, I think, really. You know, it does. It which does. Is, which is a good segue, I think, into into um, probably our last last two questions. Yeah, it's a good segue. I mean, you've got a lot of experience, obviously. Um, but now, looking back, what would you tell your your twenty one year old self? What would I tell my twenty one year old self? Don't go back to uni. Get that job. Get experience. Get experience first. Uni second. Um, if somebody, uh, I, I always expect your first job or two or three to be something you don't want to be doing, but you're going to learn shitloads from it. If mm. you can learn shitloads from it, you do it. If you have to drag concrete across a field, but it's going to make you stronger and better, you do it. Mm. Do that. Don't expect your first or second or third job to be what you studied for or what you like. And I have firsthand experience of that. I didn't design a plane as my first job. I um, I, I uh, used COBOL to do a, a billing program. So, uh, but I learned from it, learn from it. Uh, on, on, expect that first job to be one that you don't want to do, but don't do any old job, do a job that you're going to learn from. Right. If it's if it doesn't tick all the boxes, learn from it, and then progress to the, to the areas. Then go back to uni. You go back to uni with your employer sponsoring you. Then go on and do the job that that. Um, so that's what I w- I would say to the twenty one year old self. And 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 don't drink too much. Pace yourself because there's because you you'll be amazed <laughs> how long your your life is. That was brilliant. Absolutely fantastic. So a lot of insights. Um, what I'd love to know, John, because you've you've obviously met a lot of characters in your in your time, um, a lot of good program managers, a lot of good directors and leaders. But who would you like to see on on this podcast? Matthew Norsa. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you why. Because Matt Matt joined Arthur Anderson a year ahead of me. Magnificent delivery guy, um, different personality to me. You know, just more measured, more. Uh, he gave his team around him a lot more autonomy and uh, uh, versus me in the early days. I used to really uh, try and micromanage people a lot when in the early days. But, but Matt rose to the heights of delivery, fantastic delivery guy, very well known to SAP. And then he became an SAP salesman or salesperson, I should say, and rose to the top of that. So what has always been eating big big SAP project managers is this trade-off between selling it and delivering it. Always. This has been a, a bane. It's been a, you know, a, 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 a bane of our lives. And you want us to deliver that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What the, what the heck? Yeah. You do it in two months? Exactly right. In the dark? So if you wanna, if you want one person that understands now both sides of those coins intimately, do do you know how interesting would that be? Is is the trade-off between selling and and delivery? He's still in SAP, working. I think he's working part time, and he is now instructing salespeople. He was that good. He's instructing salespeople. So he's he's a a, you know he's a, a Yoda plus. He's a yeah, he's got Padawans left, right, and center. And I've got to tell you, that would be interesting because he appreciates both sides. He, he did both roles. He's the only 
person that, well, one of many people or few people that can answer that dilemma because he did both. Great. Fantastic. Fantastic. What a podcast.